Welcome to Mere Utterance, the podcast where we explore small stories and the big impact they have on our lives. In this episode, we're chatting with Luke Stella. Luke is a science communicator, STEM educator, and researcher. He is also an ecstatic dancer, maker of pottery, a wrangler of amateur science comedians, a fruit and veg co-op shopper, and a community-minded creative. In this episode, Luke shares the many parts that come together to form his journey, an external outpouring of internal development. Okay, Luke, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for stopping by and having a chat. Yeah, it's so nice to be here. Lovely to have you. Um, so how would you introduce yourself at this point in time? Hmm. So I think practically I would introduce myself as a PhD student. So I'm studying the origin of life at the moment. I'm also doing a lot of science communication and community engagement in that space. It saddens me to think that that's most of my life at the moment. <laughs> I've been very busy and don't have much time for my other hobbies. And um, yeah, I hope that maybe one time I'll be able to introduce myself as someone as more than just my occupation and what I yeah. do. But yeah, for now, that's really, that's what I'm sticking my teeth into. And I love it. It's really exciting and exhilarating and fulfilling in certain ways yeah okay so phd undertaking that is a big it's a big decision and a big commitment what made you go into doing a phd what made you go into wanting to look at origins of life how did that how did that start yeah so i fell into the whole origin of life astrobiology research um basically because a professor at university needed a driver in the desert you're joking Um, really yeah yeah so uh, my supervisor um at the time had an amazing master's student who didn't have an australian license so couldn't drive the you know jeeps around in the desert to look at all these rocks and stuff so i was a 30 undergrad student i'm like hey do you want to just spend a month in the desert driving around dropping him off at rock spots and just like sleeping in a hammock you know, during lunchtime and waiting for him to collect all his rocks and come back to the car at the end of the day. So that was my exposure to, you know, how life gets preserved in rocks and could you find life on Mars, all this kind of stuff was just being a driver in the desert. And yeah, I just kind of got, I don't know, fell in love with honestly doing science for the sake of science. Um, I love the idea that you don't have to do science for, you know, commercial value. You know, I think I was really put off that from a young point. I didn't want to invent new patents and make things that made money or even serve society in a very capitalistic way. What established that view of science? Because it sounds like there's there's mm. a contrast. Yeah, I, I think growing up, my parents uh, were a lot of beautiful things. One of them, looking back, like quite anti-capitalist, you know, like they didn't see the value in like... Um, you know, one, my father was a, uh, a conservationist and worked for national parks had like, you know, a good steady government job that, you know, he was happy to do his nine to five and really passionate and driven. And my mother was a social worker and part of her career was inventing a system for people, um, you know, experiencing homelessness or on welfare could trade and barter in like a kind of like, but before there was iPhones, before there were apps to do this kind of stuff. And like, how do you... Um, you know, we would like babysit someone's dog and then someone would come in and like fix our toilet as a kid growing up. You know, it was this whole kind of system that it was never overtly like this idea that money isn't everything. It wasn't said out loud, but just the way that our actions existed. Um, yeah, that really stuck with me. And I think that I also love the idea that, you know, we live in this beautiful, very messed up in a lot of ways country. But it's also the privilege here that we can go and do a PhD and go to uni and it's relatively free you know when you can't get paid to do something it's like fuck it i want to get paid to look at stars you know <laughs> like, yeah, yeah definitely okay yeah. wait so was it the stars or the rocks mm-hmm. honestly the rocks i was i was never a star person okay um, I, I <laughs> ironic into it now. ironic i know with the last name like stella um there, a lot of people always make that joke <laughs> no <laughs> it was low-hanging fruit i had to <laughs> no yeah you had to take it um yeah I, so honestly i started my degree hell-bent on doing environmental science. I wanted to be a little conservationist. I wanted to use, you know, environmental, mainly looking at environmental chemistry and, you know, getting polluters to pick up after themselves and stopping climate change and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I I think I realised that so much of that is driven by money. It is driven by basically trying, like these big polluters, finding the cheapest way to pay someone to give them a tip to say you've cleaned up your mess and... I got 
honestly disenfranchised. I kind of gave up the idea that you could work in that space. And there's very few, there's the Environmental Defenders Office, which is like a legal group, and there's certain activist groups that do amazing work in that space. But if you wanted to have a nine-to-five career in that area, it's very hard to do it ethically and authentically, you know, from your true self. So I was kind of learning more about the realities of, you know, the environmental discipline and the environmental industry, basically, in Australia and being disenfranchised if that, while at the same time learning that you can get paid to hang out in the desert all day and look at rocks and be around people who are literally, like, their full-time job is talking about aliens. And I thought that was just Love such that. a cool, um, yeah. cool way to pass your time. Yeah. That's amazing. And... It's also interesting, like, I think maybe that's where the whole idea of science for the sake of science comes in, mm, is yeah. that it's that move away from capitalism yeah. and into discovery and thought and mm. just exploration of the world around us. Totally. Okay, so went to the Pilbara, saw all the rocks. What is it in you that transitions to then deciding that you're going to pursue that? I mean, you've gone from, I mean, you went in wanting to do environmental sort of sustainability and that sort of mm. thing and then there's something in you that changes in that Pilbara trip yeah and it, it wasn't I mean we, we discussed before it wasn't a linear process you know so I did this Pilbara trip I loved that yeah. I then went on to do my honours in studying a modern hot spring up in Ladakh so this is in the northern part of the Himalayas and yeah which was amazing um, so basically that was the long story short, the Pilbaras, you know, ancient fossils that we study in the desert of Australia that, you know, is linked to similar fossils you may be able to find on Mars, all that kind of stuff. Um, a modern analogue, so a modern system that might have looked like it chemically is these boron-rich hot springs, so these elementally boron-rich hot springs up in Ladakh, so like northern Himalayas. Um, and it was a research trip going up there doing all kinds of different space astrobiology-related activities looking at rovers driving over sand dunes and all these kind of things. And, um, yeah, there was an opportunity for me to go along and collect some water and, you know, do a little uh, honours project. Yes, please. Which was amazing. Yeah. Um, and How we also, long was that for? So that was a four-week trip up there, which was really cool. And we also visited heaps of schools. Um, the Dalai Lama was in town, so we went to, like, the Dalai Lama gave a talk in, like, the local no. sport and rec centre, and no. we just rocked up. It was really cool. Was, you seen the Dalai Lama? Yeah, yeah. And it was amazing. It was like, um, so up in Ladakh, there's a lot of um, Tibetan refugees up there, kind of like there in Dharamsala, the two main areas. So um, for these people, it was this really, you know, special, important time where he came across from Dharamsala and gave this big kind of talk. But it honestly felt like obviously a very spiritual experience but like kind of like picnic day as well and like everyone was there and they kind of brought all the kids out in a fancy dress and they all had like lunches on the grass and he was there in his big podium you know off in the distance and had speakers that were crackling it kind of felt like a yeah like a cricket game or something in a sense where like everyone was very excited to be there and um that's beautiful yeah, because really that cool. makes spirituality very accessible and every day totally. yeah day. yeah and i think beyond that um you know i can imagine for these people at it's like a cultural thing as well, you know, and like being displaced from Tibet and like, you know, all the hardship that goes with that. It's not just a spiritual, philosophical thing. It's like, hey, this is like, you know, this is my culture. This is my nationality. This is, you know, my lifestyle. So, yeah. What was that like for you, a guy from, you know, Australia? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you're a guy yeah. from Australia and suddenly you're in Tibet listening to the Dalai Lama. Yeah. Experiencing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the deepest part of people's culture like yeah. that's wild um, it was what well, i think it's a blessing and a curse but in these spaces <laughs> i kind of just like accept it for what it is and like oh like whatever like this is what i'm doing today you know and i i look back and sometimes i wish i had more um i guess like insider appreciation for how special opportunities are mm. but a lot of my life i'm like oh yeah like you just wake up you do it it's really cool you smile a lot it's like witnessing this I'm aware that it's unique, but it's like, fuck, that was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and it was just, like, another day, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I guess also I think I grew up... My parents um, spent a lot of time in India. They, you know, lived there for a couple of years. So um, I first went to India, and we went up to Assam, which is, like, the northern kind of part of India, um, which is very remote. They went up there because I had a Indian friend who was running a school up there, and one went up there to teach 
um, reproductive hygiene to some women up there. So yeah. she kind of ran this course and I was in year four. I was like this young little kid and I spent like three months up in the sun kind of <laughs> kicking around at this school. Um, so I think for me, being exposed to different cultures and different experiences wasn't like a novel culture shock. It's like, yeah, people probably the same for yourself and you, you travel extensively. It's like people live different lives and you being there and like, wow, this is so unique and so special. Um, Someone's just like, yeah, for them, it's like they're every day, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. I I think I I got desensitized to people living different experiences. But there's something really beautiful in that too, though, because I think that it allows you to... And and I'm not even sure how to put words around Mm. this. I think it deconstructs otherness. Do you know what I mean? If you view things as, well, this is their everyday life, just like I have my everyday life. Mm. Yeah. I feel like there's less proclivity to have you know well this is the exotic or this is the other oh, or wow totally. what a thing to yeah. observe do you know what yeah, I mean yeah yeah and I think for me um and this may be you know making it mundane but rather than like you know being if I was there without previously experiencing different cultures and different types of people you'd be like oh look at the funny clothes they're wearing and look at this language like you know you'll be very surface level but I yeah. think you know you expose yourself to enough difference and enough diversity it's like well what are these people really feeling and oh there's this great energy and it's like a cricket game but obviously they're really sad because their country's been destroyed you know and like you you can kind of can cut away the um and it's the same when you meet anyone you know people from you know different backgrounds different genders different sexualities the first time you do it you're asking all those like sufficient questions oh, like but how do you have sex? And what do you know? You have like you yeah. have these kind of stupid <laughs> questions, and yeah, then totally. you expose yourself enough, and at the end, it's like, but like, how do you really feel? And oh, like, did you see this great movie? You kind of connect on. And who are you? And yeah. what makes you tick? And yeah, what are you yeah, passionate yeah. about? And totally, yeah. yeah. So I think, um, yeah, that's what I try to do when I go um, to find new places. Yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And it's yes, I think it's easy to cultivate that. Is that an attitude that you also have? in your study or in your everyday life or in meeting people or yeah yeah and I think um when you were explaining what me utterance was and this idea that everyone has a story that was something that I don't know it sounds so like millennial but basically um <laughs> when I, I had like you know the three months of like you know every uni you get the summer holidays and you can travel and I went to South America and I was like in the airport just like scrolling Instagram or whatever it is and this like inspirational quote of the day popped up and it was like everyone you meet has a story to tell I was something like just like very corny like that and I was like yeah I want to I want to do this you know and I think that was like this mentality as like an 18 year old going to you know South America by myself I was like everyone I meet I want to hear their story I want to I want to learn and it, it was quite selfish where I was like think of all the knowledge I can extract and think of all the things I can learn, you know? And I think that I was like, oh, and everyone can tell me something new and I can become a more rounded, worldly person. Um, and I think through that process of just exposing myself to people and asking questions, um, I kind of dropped, yeah, like obviously, you know, you can never truly, but like try to drop the ego and that kind of self-servicedness and that and more just like the experience of learning, the experience of sharing something with someone became more important. So yeah, and I was like, I think... I was very drunk in a lot of the opportunities of talking. It was less, you wake up the next day not being like, oh, this great fact alone, but it's more like, I had a really beautiful time or like, we cried together last night and that was really sweet and important. And I don't know, I think there's, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of use in exposing yourself to different people and asking interesting questions of each other. Ugh, that's so, <laughs> how do I even start to unpack that? It sounds to me, and I don't know how to turn this into a question, but like, it sounds like in the different experience, it sounds like you've traveled a lot and it sounds like you've talked to a whole bunch of different people. It also sounds like you bring a lot of presence and intention into those interactions. Mm. Um, is that the case? Do you? Yeah. I, I, when, when I have the intention to be intentional, I guess it, it's so easy to, you know, like I think we, um, it's easy when you're primed up sitting in a podcast to be like, yeah, I bring attention to everything I do, but like so much of my life, I'm just like in my little brain, monkey mind, just going off thinking about what needs to be done or having imaginary arguments with someone that I'm never going to have, but I want to beat them or, you know, like we're all <laughs> yeah. crappy people. You know? I'm, like, I'm not the only person who no, like comes no. up with a comeback, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like four years ago. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, damn, I wish I could have said I sounded so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so much um, cooler in my head. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that I, I really do 
when I do remember that, I try and bring that into my life. Um, and, you know, there are certain, pra- like, you know, meditative, contemplative practices you can do to cultivate that, but I'm generally pretty crap at that, you know? I, I'm, yeah, so... Me too. <laughs> Every time I sit down to meditate, I'm like, okay... Oh wait, my posture's crap. Okay, hang on, let me let me change it. Oh no, I'm not breathing properly. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, shush, yeah. Shush, no. Um, I I feel that, and something I have done. Uh, I've done it for a few years now, but I've really realized where I can find contemplation is through movement and dance. Yeah. Okay, tell actually, me about that. Yeah. Um. So it's actually around a corner. We can go there um one week's time, but it's like ecstatic dance or like <gasps> contact improv. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is um I got into you know like traveling hippie you know you just go to you know i spent a lot of time in rishikesh when i was over in india and like doing yoga stuff but then there's always these dance groups and the first one i was exposed to was ecstatic dance and it's just basically and then people do it here like no lights no lacquer as oh, well yeah it's that's that fun i've been there yeah. it's just funny and it's basically just like no moves no you know you're not dancing for anyone else it's just like how does your body mm-hmm. feel in that space and again i really try and bring a lot of intention to it and it's like for anyone who's done, you know, the passion or a meditative based on, you know, observing the body, you can be like, how does my arm feel when I extend it out this way? And, oh, that feels a bit tight, but maybe if I move there and you can kind of get out of your head into your body yep. through um, dance practice. So there's a lot of places around here that just hold a night where I play some music or to have like a live, um, you know, beautiful acoustic instruments going. You kind of just like move around or jump around or whatever that means to you. And then there's contact improv which apparently it's the 50th anniversary or something of when this kind of came together um, this year. And it started in like Santa Cruz, like hippies in the 70s or 80s doing their thing. But basically it's a partner or like more than one person dance. And there's no set movements. There's kind of um, like, I guess like, like, um, like modes of movement that you can empower, but you're basically dancing together shaping each other's movements so you know you can just start off um lightly touching fingers if someone and it's not like there's a leader and a follower just like oh if i like push this way how does that feel and you kind of you feel that movement and then there may be some resistance and then you stop and then you do them so it's this conversation you're doing um totally with someone non-verbal. else totally non-verbal yeah and then you do stuff where you might like you know they say like you know bear weight or carry weight where someone will lean on top of you and you can lift them up but it's always not grabbing you're not holding you're not moving it's an invitation you know you might rest your hand on them it's and they can choose to and an answer yeah yeah, yeah. that's exactly it's it. really interesting yeah. <laughs> so many years ago i worked in a law firm cool. um and i'm not a corporate person yeah, at all yeah. like i'm a very creative person <laughs> yeah. and it was uh, slowly killing my soul but not that those things i, I think it's important to say that c- corporate people can be creative as well oh 100 like, yeah, 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 yeah 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 no that's a hundred yeah no that's that's exactly right corporate people can definitely be creative and i know so i don't want to be right i don't want any corporates no. listening in being like but hi if you're a corporate person <laughs> i admire you and um <laughs> wish that i could do what you do um mm. but yeah i my outlet that i needed ended up being salsa dance cool. and i really liked it because it was that com- it was that total nonverbal communication mm. of like the per- the person who you're dancing with pretty much asks non-verbally through body movement you to like move in a certain way and you can either respond Mm. positively or you can choose not to and it's really interesting to learn how to communicate in a different way yeah what draws you or drew you to the ecstatic dance or the you know vipassana Mm. or meditation practices yeah what is it about that that's Um, interesting for you that's a really good question so i think just narrowing in on the dance like movement aspect of it first because it's such a big question like why do we why do we exist what do we do what we do you know um the movement as i said i'm really bad at meditating um even though i tried (laughs) it a little bit and to me it was like an easy way to get out of my head and into my body yeah um and then i think as well i am i guess you can tell by the speed at which i talk i'm an extrovert i love you know like you know sharing with people but i've kind of always had this hidden shame or this hidden kind of pain about like dominating conversations or like, Oh, did I talk too much? Or, you know, like that kind of, really um, yeah. Or, you know, like was I, was I present enough? Did I give them enough space to, you know, I, I think that's a, cause I probably had a few people in my life tell me like, Oh, that Luca, great talk. So I don't know, whatever it is, you know, probably as a kid, I, I took on these, these baggages. And I think that I was going to ask where that came yeah, from. And I, I honestly, I can't tell you, but that's something that, you know, every time you have a conversation and you 
go over it and you feel anxious about something. To me, that's where that anxiety generally comes from. That's kind of my little pain body that I deal with. And I reflected on it a lot and I feel that it comes from a good place because, like, you know, you're really excited and, like, someone... It's generally when someone says something that you think you can, like, oh, like, but you've got to hear about this because, you know, like, with this dancing, it's like you say, oh... I'm looking for a way to connect more to my body and people. I was like, oh my God, like you have to do this thing, you know, and you kind of like, it's like, it's from this place. Like I want to share, I want to, you know, let's do this together. This is this great thing. But yeah, I do after I'm like, fuck, like I talked way too much. That was horrible. So yeah. Um, but that's, yeah. That, uh, but that shame sucks though, because yeah, that's oh, also like totally. such no. a strength too. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and in you sharing and, I mean, in your sharing and in mm. talking, you're being vulnerable and you're giving of yourself. Yeah. And so, isn't it shit? <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> when it is feel... shit. Um, I, I've got this and this process of contact improv and being non-verbal and being totally, uh, you know, non-hierarchical in, you know, there's no leader, there's no follower, there's no one has a set move to do. It's purely creating a space with someone organically and um, collaboratively that really... I, you can walk away from something like that being like, I didn't talk too much because we didn't talk at all. You know, <laughs> like it's just an easy yeah. way. Um, so I think that helped me build connections with people um, in a more collaborative, less, you know, self-judgy way. Um, so I really like not talking to someone and dancing with them and then never talking to them again, but sharing that moment. Yeah. Uh, that's so beautiful. And I that really resonates with me because I'm – I think I'm opposite of the spectrum and mm. I'm more of a introvert. Yeah. Um, and I think that I, to my detriment, and I think this is where my, my pain body comes in is that I think I hide behind questions. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I hide behind, well, I'm just going to listen and yeah. hold space. And it makes sense that you've created a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, but it does though, because yeah. every single time I have a podcast in order for me to actually get somebody's story or mm. to talk to somebody authentically about their story, I need to give something of myself as well. Yeah. So I get to ask questions, but at the same time I have to give myself. I can never explain the philosophy of it, but um, it's something that my brother who you have met um, and explores a lot of like the, the deeper philosophy of like what it is like, like to be a human and this whole like sort of shadow side and exploring the shadow state and stuff. And, you know, you could see shame as a bad thing, but there are learning opportunities through that as well, you know? And I think that I, the, the shadow side of me or like the, the totally un, unchecked egotistic side of me could just run with a conversation. I know like I've been in situations where I, I've been aware that I'm just talking over someone or someone doesn't feel comfortable and I've kept going with that and feeling shit about that afterwards and feeling that shame actually keeps me in check, right. you know? It actually helps me be aware of, you know, especially as a man and having a deep voice and a big you know um presence uh, i'm aware that you know like that can be super dominating to some people super triggering or people may not feel the space to share in those environments so i think that that shame can be good as well yeah how do you interact with that shadow part of yourself um or how do you even learn to do that Honestly, I just feel shit a lot. You know, it's just like, it's, just like, it's like, you can talk about, it's like, oh, like, look at Luke, even his shame, he's growing. But no, like, 99% of the time, I just feel real, bad, just feel about real bad about myself. I'm like, fuck, why did I do that? No. <laughs> and as I said, like, these are the kind of lofty goals and visions I have for my life that are easy to say in a podcast and harder to do in reality. In yeah, but I, I think that, um, like, growing up as a kid, and especially as a teenager, I had a lot of anger, I think. Like, especially, um, oh, this sounds like, well, like, me and my mum used to, just, like, argue a lot, you know? And, like, she's, and anyone who's listening to this and knows my mum will think I'm a monster because she's just the sweetest, <laughs> loveliest person. But we would clash heaps, and it was always, like, yeah, like, pushing those boundaries and, like, arguing. And my dad is the most, like, zen, calm so, like my mom's like this big beautiful lovely kind of like extrovert my dad's like this calm kind of like centered lovely man and i think like he would be like luke like what are you feeling right now like sit in the anger like where where are i i think that that kind of space of you know you're got all this anger and all these emotions all this shame or whatever you're feeling like what does that feel like as a bodily fun like sensation what does that feel like in your brain where's it and i kind of just like reflecting um and just like i think any emotion that you're in that you look back on saying, oh, I didn't want to be in that space. If you can just say, and obviously like having someone to remind you of this is beautiful, but being like, 
what are you actually feeling right now? Like, why, like being like, like being, you know, the observer behind the observer, you know, like you're really angry, but like, who's, where's the Lukey behind that, watching that anger, you know, and like, you know, just being aware of that and having that process. Um, and I think that comes from, you know, my parents have done a lot of meditation and contemplative stuff and they learned that the hard way. And, um, I was very lucky where I could learn it the easy way. Cause like, Oh Luke, like <laughs> from 20 years of meditating, this is what you should be doing. So I kind of got a bit of a, um, you know, like an easy line cutting there. I think so a lot of people have to discover this stuff on their own, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You're so right. And yes, it is easy to be like, Oh, well, it's easy. Cause I've learned it because my parents have learned it. And I'm quite similar. Like my dad's mm. done a lot of work in, uh, he used to be a minister, but he's really a theologian and has done a lot of spiritual exploring and Ooh. delved into every different religion. And so we grew up having very deep conversations about the universe and everything mm. in it as just a everyday dinner table conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you're right. It's good because I can look at a situation and be like, oh, well, I just need to, um, I know that this is my ego popping up. Mm, I know that this is my yeah, shadow self yeah. and I know that I need to embrace this and blah, 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 blah. Mm. At the same time though, when I choose to be like ignorant of that and put that aside, <laughs> yeah. sometimes it just feels better to be angry yeah. and sometimes it feels better to be upset. And I mm. think there's that sort of catch 22 of I know better mm. I should be yeah. meditating or responding in this way or observing yeah. the observer or yeah, whatever it yeah, is and I'm not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good on one level and on another level it's like yeah ah oh, crap <laughs> but I also feel like we can we try too hard and like we you know we whenever we're feeling angry like like and like anger can be justified you know like sadness is beautiful like we can kind of have this idea of no, I have to be economist. I have to, you know, not be attached to these emotions. But yeah, like when something crap happens and you cry and you feel really sad, like you don't want to observe the observer and reduce that. You just want to be present in that. And um, I think there's almost, when you say like, what's the, the catch-22s of having a beautiful, enlightened parents growing up <laughs> is like, um, so my mom, she was um, amazing social worker, like palliative care counselor, that kind of stuff. But she was also worked for Lifeline to train the telephone counsellors wow. for years. And um, my brother and my dad, we all went, you know, like they've all gone through the Lifeline training process and the little booklets was around, you know, growing up. And we, on one hand, that's beautiful because you have, you know, trauma-informed care parents who are, you know, amazing listeners and all that kind of stuff. But also, like, you're in an argument and you're, like, you know, getting really angry and it's like, but Luke, how does that make you feel? Like, and they start, like, reflecting. You're like, oh, like, you must be really angry. And it's just like, fuck, mom. Like, don't lifeline me. Like, I know what you're doing. Like, don't give me this crap. Like, so you can, yeah, too much of a thing. Oh, I yeah. resonate with this so much. It's like, ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Because yeah. the wisdom is on hand and they're no. not experiencing the same yeah. emotion that I'm yeah. experiencing. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I'll be, like, really upset. And dad will be like, well, you know that, like, this is just the narrative space yeah. and you're reacting to a stimulus and, like, yeah. come in with some sage wisdom. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, totally. <laughs> it's so good and yeah. it's also <laughs> so challenging. Yeah, and I, I think it's, like, um, the, the, like, you know, people have roles, you know, and I think that, like, parents are meant to be your spiritual leaders on some levels, but also they're meant to be your parents, you know? They're meant to, like, it's like, mom, just, like, you know, just... I don't know, don't try and lifeline me. Just, like, be angry with me or, like, you know, tell me I'm wrong and I'm a shit kid rather than being like, Luke, these emotions are valid, you know? Like, just... Yeah, uh, so, yeah. And that's hard, too. They're, like, occupying those different roles mm, is really hard and yeah. transitioning between different roles is really hard, too. Yeah. Especially in family dynamics. Like, my parents are my parents, but also they're some of my best friends totally, and yeah, mentors. And, exactly, yeah. You know, it's... And I think I find it difficult to embody different roles as well. So mm. it's something that I think I unconsciously do every single day. Yeah. Like yeah. when I'm teaching at school, I'm not, sometimes I'm a teacher and sometimes I'm a counselor and sometimes mm. I'm a big sister. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's, it's completely different depending on, I guess, what the need is. Mm. And so the challenge becomes what is required or how can I hold space in this particular situation so I mm. think that like being present is partially embracing the emotions and the stimulus and the situation that's happening but it's also observing and going what can I bring to this space and mm. how can I hold space here for the person who I'm having an interaction with mm. yeah 
Yeah, and I think it's um, it's beautiful you can do that, but also imagine super draining. Like for you to be like, you know, wearing all these different hats and like, and like for different students in the same classroom where it's like, I'm sorry, I know you don't want to talk about work, but... No, you're yeah, right, I have though. such admiration for that, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's lovely of you to say. And it's, and you're right, it is draining as well. Mm. And I think that in the spirit of vulnerability and honesty, as I ask of everybody when they come on and it's mm. only fair that I'm I am as well it is draining and I think the challenge that I'm presented with at the moment is learning how to balance that and how mm. to measure that I think mm. that my challenge is to meet my own needs mm. whilst meeting the needs of other yeah. people as well I think that my proclivity is mm. to stretch beyond myself and yeah. The problem is, is that you can't fill from an empty cup. Mm, and so yeah. you're right. It is draining. And I'm still trying to find the balance between giving and holding enough for mm. myself and having those, not boundaries, but having, I guess, energetic boundaries, if that mm. makes sense. Like yeah. I'm going to give you this much energy and hold the rest for myself yeah, because yeah, yeah. I need to be able to <laughs> chill at the end of the day. No, totally. But I think... Um, it's hard enough as a teacher doing that or anyone when you're working with people who are desperate for help, you know, I'm like, you know, kids are like the, I don't know, I don't want to, you know, like the mental health, the, the shit that they get put on them from this, you know, really, you know, corrupt, messed up system that we're living in, you know, like kids need really deep, beautiful support, you know, and I think it's hard when you're like, oh, actually, no, I'm not going to help you today because I need to have a cup of tea and like, look, it's just, it's so tough and, um, I have a, a lot of uh, friends who work as like caseworkers for people seeking asylum in Australia um, or, you know, advocates of people who are in detention. And, you know, it's just like when you have someone in like the most desperate, you know, difficult situation that a really corrupt and shit government can put someone in and they're like literally languishing in a cell, it's hard for you to say, oh, actually, it's 5 p.m. I need to go to the gym now. Like, you're like how, how can you tell that to someone whose entire life's on the line, you know? Um, and yeah, I think that it's easy to say, fill from a full cup, you know, like all this, you know, like this, you know, stuff, it, it makes sense and it's true, but actually it's very hard to say no to people to look after yourself. What's yeah. your experience of that? Because you are involved in a whole bunch of different mm, projects, you yeah. have a lot of different opportunities and you're, you're an extrovert. Yeah. What's your experience of having to hold space for yourself? Yeah. Um, I think... So firstly, I generally just like let other aspects of my life just fall apart, you know, <laughs> like it's either like <laughs> my health. Balance? I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. It's either like my health, um, like friends. I'll just be like, I like won't reply to anyone's Facebook message for two months. I'm just like, you know, like, and that's really crap. And I'm trying to work on that. Um, all my PhD in general, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do any research for the next two weeks. I'm just going to work on everything else. It's a really refreshingly um, honest answer. No, yeah. Um, but I think from like a personal experience um i have really weak boundaries around helping people and i think i just want to help everyone that i can and i generally like over promise and don't set boundaries and um this happened a lot when uh not only when i was living out in alice springs and um you know being around so many people that are um suppressed and disadvantaged by a you know inherently racist system out there is really um hard to deal with we used to live like in like redfern like waterloo area like right next to a lot of the um public housing there and i was like dumpster diving getting all this like amazing you know beautiful fresh produce and food and stuff I'm like oh we'll start like giving it out to people and we did like big park picnics and like everyone would come along and grab food and it was this beautiful thing and um there were a few like older women who I became really good friends with and I would go around to their house every week and drop food over and they'll come around to our place and ask for stuff and have a cup of tea. And that was beautiful, but I think I set up an unrealistic expectation of what I could provide to them, you know? And like they expected me to like always be ready for a cup of tea or always be ready to deliver food. And my brother was working um, down like with Vinny's down at like Willamaloo and like some of the homeless shelters there at the time. And for him, A, like, he was just like, fuck, I'm helping people every day. I don't want to come home and have people knocking on my door, asking for stuff, which is super valid. And B, he was just like, dude, if you don't set expectations of what you can offer, you're just going to let people down, you know? And you say, yeah, we'll help you. That's great. Come here and do this kind of stuff. And then after a few weeks, you get burnt out. And it's like, hey, I can't give you food or give you money every time you knock on the door because I'm a, you know, 
time poor student, like poor in general student as well. Then you burn that bridge, you let them down, and then at the end of the day, no one wins. Yeah. So it's like setting boundaries from the beginning where it's like we'll always give you food but like we won't give you money you know and that could be a really harsh line but it's like that's a thing you set that everyone's on the same page everyone knows what's going on and it's sustainable into the future you know so are you doing more of that are you finding it easier to set those boundaries now and expectations I'm trying to yeah yeah it's hard but i'm definitely i'm at least i'm aware of that and totally. i catch myself and it's usually like Again, it's like that post-conversation anxiety where it's like, oh, yeah, like, I'll drop some food around to you next week. Don't worry. And I come back. I'm like, fuck, I have no time next week. Like, <laughs> this isn't going to work. Um, but I'm slowly learning So awareness that. is that first step, I feel. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's good. Like, I've got a lot of, again, it's like talking to people who've done this for a long, like, a long more time than me. And, you know, similar thing in Alice Springs, you know, like my, my um, partner, she grew up out there and her parents lived there for years and... You know, I think it's just, you know, people, you go out there and you want to help and you want to, like, you know, um, generally, you know, like, like people, you want to be, like, this white saviour and, like, do all this kind of, like, crap. And I think people, you know, get into the habit of giving and then, you know, people get into the habit of expecting that giving and then you burn bridges and then people put a hard barrier up and, like, no, and then... You know, I've, I've seen a lot of people, like, you know, generally, like, who try to do really good stuff end up saying, um, honestly, like, really, like, racist shit that they got themselves into a mess where they promised all this stuff to give to people or they're like, yeah, what's mine's yours? Like, come in, help yourself. And then they overstepped their boundary because they were trying to be a great, you know, person. And then they were, like, hard lock, no, like, I'm not happy with this, burn those bridges. And then they're like, oh, people are always taking too much or they never, uh, you know, you kind of, like, they created, like, an unhealthy relationship and then complain about that, you know? And, like, um... I think I was lucky where, you know, I obviously discovered that myself and definitely failed in heaps of ways, but I had the people living there, like, you know, lived there their whole life and had these experiences and talking to, you know, both sides of everything and, like, um, learning that through conversation and through other people's experiences helped me not burn too many bridges, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, no, because I was going to ask how you cultivate that awareness and is it through those experiences and through those conversations that you're able to cultivate awareness around what needs to be a boundary, what needs to be an expectation? Yeah, yeah. And um, again, honestly, like my real times of learning was, again, feeling deep shame or deep regret around stuff I've done and being like promising stuff that I can't deliver and someone calling me and saying, Luke, you said you'd be here to pick me up. Like... Well, like, what, you know, like, yeah, like stuff like that, but like it's stuff, you know, I would say, oh, like anytime, give me a call, like, you know, I'll give you a lift, I'll help you out. And you want to be that good person in that conversation. You want to help them. And, um, yeah. Sometimes so you can't. You can, yeah. But like, but also like, I should be aware that I can't Yeah. by the 20th conversation that I promised someone. And it's even like, I get this same way in, um promising friends i'm like oh yeah i'll go to that party i'll do that let's do this weekend i find myself committed to 20 different things on the same weekend and it's like i end up letting people down because in that moment i want to be the good guy and i want to say yes to everything but i can't do that you know so um yeah it seems to be a a universal um factor in everything i do in life i overcommit but yeah is it that you want to say yes to everything or is it that you want to do everything um probably both i think part of me and it's weird even though you know i'm like oh I'm anti-capitalist and trying to like, you know, do all this kind of stuff. I do find myself like, I, I want to be the best at what I do, you know? And I want to, yeah. I want to be, um, I want people to look at me and be like, wow, look, Luke's doing great stuff. And he's, you know, he's excelling in his field. Like, I do have that, that drive and that ego there, which, you know, is good and bad. I don't think that's a bad thing, but also like, I just want to have a fun conversation. It's easy when someone's like, come around to my place on the weekend. We'll do this. I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. Like brilliant, you know? Yeah, so and, it's like um, competing expectations of yeah. yourself what does success look like to you oh that changes so i think it's like how burnt out and tired i am it's like, <laughs> success six, looks like yeah <laughs> cooking a meal and going to bed early today honestly honestly <laughs> or like i just like um yeah dream of just like having time to like make some beautiful pottery and like read a book that i, I literally haven't read a book my entire phd like like stuff like that it's just like i want to have the space to be bored you know like that would be a successful life and not even be bored but like be content you know yeah. i think i'm always trying to chase the next best thing and to be able to say hey i'm going to do pottery and not be renowned for anything today and i'm happy with that like that's success to me like just being content with the the humble life yeah. um 
but then also, yeah, like, you know, I've got, like, career goals, I've got goals for all my projects, there's, you know, there's, um, very, like, you know, goal, practical, you know, um, you know, like, solution-based things that I want to achieve, and, yeah, I, I, don't, I feel like they, they take me to good places, and if I stay, stay present and authentic within those spaces, like, it's, it's doing, it's doing good for me, it's doing good for the world, so I'm not ashamed of those goals, but, yeah, yeah. sometimes they suck. <laughs> mm. This conversation is really interesting and challenging because i feel like you're i feel like you're holding up a mirror to, <laughs> yeah. as in like i feel like you're the male more extroverted version of what often goes on in my head yeah. a lot of the time like wow. i'm a very non-verbal processor mm. and everything that you're verbalizing yeah i'm thinking about huh. multiple times throughout the day it's like i want to help and i want to do like mm. really really well and i want people to look at me and go wow she's doing amazingly mm. in her career yeah. what yeah. a good writer or what a good blah 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 but at the same time it's like and I want to, you know, go to the gym and I want to be really Zen and mm. I want to, you know, build awareness and have spiritual growth and deep conversations, mm. but also time for myself. And this is interesting and challenging to hear all of this. Cause it's like, yeah, it's just holding up a mirror. And yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> How's that feel? Like what, what is this doing to you? Um, I don't, it's really weird. Mm. It's really, if it's really interesting though, like it's interesting to hear it all verbalized. Mm. See, this is why I'm doing the utterance because somewhere out there, <laughs> there's a listener who's going, oh my God, I just happen to be the listener yeah, this time. Yeah. yeah. It's just really interesting to hear mm. it. And it sort of reminds me that there's solidarity amongst people in every walk of life. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like you're yeah. in a completely different walk of life to me. Um, you've had a different upbringing, but there are similarities mm. in the story, which I think is fascinating. And like in some of the things that you've said, I know that like Tara's had a similar story as well. Mm. And so, and I mean, Tara's similarly sort of, very, your Tara's a very good verbal processor and she's very good at putting words to everything um, and thinking through everything. Whereas I think I take a little bit longer to percolate and think about, what I'm going to say, what I expect from myself. Mm. So it's interesting to see just an amalgamation of all of that Yeah, wow. in this conversation. Yeah. And I, it's interesting. And I think that's why I'm so grateful to be here as well, because I'm like a word vomiter where I won't <laughs> like, but in a sense where like, I won't like none of this stuff I've really thought about like in this detail before, you know, and right. like there's been aspects of it and stuff that like you ask a question and it, it's, it almost, it feels really weird and sometimes out of body where I just find myself saying stuff that like I haven't thought about. Yeah. And it's, yeah, but it's, 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 how it's, does that feel? How does that, yeah, no, <laughs> it's honestly like maybe it's, and it is like a really cool, it's, you know, it's, it's almost like my subconscious and my mouth are linked and my brain's just like, not like clued into that loop, you know? Yeah. Is that scary though? Cause I get scared of that. Like yeah, I, I get scared of like what if I say something stupid? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why, you know, like, lots of shame and anxiety after right. conversations. Because it's like, fuck, like, why did I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. but it's this thing where, like, in some of those, like, big rants I've just done, that even, I'm just like, there's almost a part of me being like, oh, look at Luke go, you know? Like, what's, <laughs> what's going on here? Like, oh, that's how you feel, you know? Like, wow. yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, but it, it's nice because, and again, this is very selfish, having conversations like this helps me understand more about myself. Yeah. And I'll walk away and I'll drive home after. It's like, oh, like, I did think that. I'm like, oh, I never knew. That's the way I really felt. And that's like, the yeah, other so side it's really of, sweet. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's the other <laughs> side of mere utterance too. It's mm. not only, like, people listening to, you know, the speaker's story. It's the speaker yeah. going, oh, yeah, that's part of my story. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, cool. I, I can own that. Like, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Um, and it's challenging <laughs> for me too because, you know, I... I feel like a different part of my own story is revealed every single time mm. I talk to somebody yeah, different. Yeah. It's really, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. One of the questions that I like to ask as well is what are you currently curious about mm. or what's currently bringing you life at the moment? Yeah. One thing I've been thinking about and before we're having discussions around science communication and, you know, like engagement, all this kind of stuff is the impact of the work that I do. Yeah. And, um, it all came from this comedy show that I did. So I had this idea of doing, you know, um, and I've talked about this a whole bunch of times to different people. I don't want to get into the actual project because it was brilliant, but basically 
seeing how comedians and artists are so good at expressing themselves and connecting with an audience and scientists have no training in that space at all, you know? And I was like, why can't we acknowledge comedians as the experts in communication and engagement and get scientists to learn from them? So mm-hmm. it was this idea that we got eight scientists, you know, we put them in a room of comedians, trained them up, did all these kind of workshops, did improv acting, all this kind of stuff. And we put them on stage and um, for some reason people loved the idea and like, you know, we packed out the factory theater, we sold 800 tickets with Dr. Carl there. It was like this huge, amazing thing. And afterwards, I was like, what's the impact of, like, what have I actually, like, given the world? And I think give the world, like, an amazing night. And I gave scientists all these great skills. And there's all these little offshoots from it. But, again, looking at, like, real human suffering in the... Because I think, like, my main drive in life is to, like, you know, bear witness to and alleviate human suffering. I think that's where I'm drawn to. And I think that's why I want to say yes to you know, dropping groceries around to old ladies' houses and driving people around. And like, I've got this, like when someone says they're having a hard time, I want to help them, you know? It's like this real core drive of mine. And um, I was just like, who have I actually helped doing this comedy? And like, how much help did I give them? I don't know. I don't know how much I've actually done in that space, you know? Um, yeah. And then I'm just like, well, what about like, you know, working in like remote communities, working in health, like what else, like what can I take my passion for communication and engagement and creating platforms for people to share their stories? How can I actually like, like what's the utilitarian most, you know, suffering can I, you know, bear witness to and alleviate in that space? Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that too. That core thing that you say Mm. that you're on about is to bear witness to and to alleviate Mm. human suffering. Yeah. There's two parts to that. Yeah. First of all, where did that all come from? Did that come from your upbringing, that, mm. that sort of, like, motto? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting... I think... I, like, I haven't heard that... I think that's, like, my... From, you know, thinking about it, a conversation that's came out to it. And honestly, it was when I was starting my PhD, or even halfway through my PhD, I was just like, what is the meaning of my life, you know? And I was kind of trying, because I had all these different beautiful opportunities and stuff, and I was like, what is the meaning of my life? And I was like, oh, should I sit the GAMSAT and study medicine? Because I love talking to people, and I love thinking scientifically about the world, and it seems like a really great way to help people on a really deep level. And um, a lot of medicine, a lot of doctors are out of touch with the world and kind of crap. And I'm like, hey, if I can like be the best I can and, you know, work in that space, that could be really cool. Or what if I go to an education or do teaching or, you know, what if I make so pottery and like, just yeah. like work in a convenience store but smile at everyone? Like, is that a good way? Like, I, don't, I was just trying to figure out what my world was. And um, I think to just say that you want to alleviate human suffering is very ambitious and ego-centered and I think that some suffering can't be alleviated and like who the fuck am I to help someone you know I, I think that's probably so I think bear witness to just a nice little caveat to just be like hey like you know sometimes you can't support someone but at least you can like listen to them and show them they're not alone and a lot of times that end of the day alleviates suffering even for just that conversation you know so that's yeah. be- that's beautiful too that bearing witness I think is yeah. really beautiful and, and- I think part of its beauty is that it takes you out of the picture to a certain mm, extent yeah. and it makes it not about you Yeah, yeah. and it makes it about the journey of the other person or the suffering of the other person totally, and yeah. holding space for that Yeah. as opposed to I'm going to come in I'm and like, like do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, come in with my Jesus complex and yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that like, no, I think it's what it's a fun. lot of people no. do like I do it too. It's like, you know, because yeah, yeah. it feels good to help people. Yeah. It doesn't feel good to watch mm. suffering. It's yeah. really hard to sit with that. No, totally. And yeah. bear witness to that. Yeah. But I think also, um, if I just said, my life goal is to bear witness to suffering, that's kind of like, is that like... <laughs> You're a sicko. You yeah. Fuck, yeah, yeah, no, 100%. You know, like, that is messed up. You perverted fucker. So, like, I think it's like, it's a 10 and you've got to try and do both, you know? Um... Yes, I think that's where, like, that kind of, that little phrase came from to me. What's the hardest part of that for you? Um, I have trouble, I think, bearing witness and not going into fix-it mode was a big part of that for me. And, um... Wait, talk to me about that. Sorry, oh, sorry, like, like, like trying to be a solution-focused person, you yeah. know? And, like, and I think especially when, you know, you're in situations with people that have incredibly complex multi-generational multi-faceted aspects to their suffering and their hardship 
and you know bearing witness to that and seeing all of that you know um, folks and conglomerated into like their daily experience which is like fucking horrible and like really shit and like they're not happy there you know no one's happy there and you're there witnessing that and your brain suddenly goes oh I know what to do I'm just going to help them do this I'm just going to help them do that I'm just going to you know I've got the solutions and I'm going to um, fix it all and I don't think that's healthy I think you can't do that a lot of the time but it's that need to fix it's that need to be solutions focused which honestly is a very western viewpoint and I think that I'm so glad you, you know, said that. It yeah, sucks. yeah. And I think when you're especially working in, you know, indigenous spaces and non-Western spaces, um, and, you know, when you do all the cultural awareness training when you're working in these environments, it's the same thing where it's like people go in goal-focused, you know, and it's like, I'm going to, like, here's a KPI, we have to get people doing this or we have to stop that. Or, you know, it's very, like, tangible results, you know, that isn't thinking about the people, isn't building relationships isn't giving people, you know, determination to come up with their own results about what they want to see. Again, that's where this witness came from. It's like, Luke, you're just here to learn. You're just here to shut up, listen, witness what life is like for a lot of people who've been messed up by a really hectic system that's pushing them down constantly and has to have done for a couple of last hundred years. Like, just witness it. Just, like, experience it. Just say you don't know anything. Learn something. And you're never going to learn it all. But, like, that's the space. So, um, yeah. That's interesting too because it seems like witnessing is the way in which that dysfunction is subverted or you can subvert that situation because it's a systemic issue that's caused mm. the problem and then ironically the solution is also very capitalist very western mm, and yeah. systemically flawed as well yeah, going yeah, in yeah. you know kpis you know problem solutions based mm. that's not helpful either yeah. and it's just as potentially detrimental oh, as the original totally. problem yeah yeah so is bearing witness a way to subvert that yeah i would definitely agree i you know i, I think that um bearing like just like as you know as like a, as an outsider in those spaces like you just got to do the time and learn you know and um yeah you just got to put in the effort and sit and listen and like the same as anything you know like you go into any job you start off on the bottom and like you just sit and you watch you know the master do their work and if you're the apprentice you just kind of do that or in university you spend the first four years like sitting and listening and then you have enough base knowledge to actually start asking the right questions and then you start a PhD and that's a whole nother, you know, like whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think that was it. And I think in any space when it comes to community engagement, what I'm really learning and trying to put into practice is complete autonomy coming in from the community. And, you know, it, it's self-determination. It's like, what do you want? What do you want to see? I'm just a tool for you to use to create what you want, you know? Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. My final question now (laughs) um is is there anything that you wanted to talk about or you wanted to cover that we haven't covered yeah um i guess i came into this podcast with like no expectations and like no like book to promote i don't know whatever you know whatever people generally say in this like end kind of bit so um honestly it's really beautiful but yeah i think i've loved i think being vulnerable and like you know I'm, i'm talking about like and you know, especially talking about, like, you know, all of the issues that this current, you know, Western system puts on Indigenous Australia and all of the, um, like, issues. I, I, I do feel um, very, not anxious, but just, like, like what's my place to even talk about this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, but I was like, oh, maybe we should delete the last half an hour of the conversation because I don't want, like, I shouldn't be speaking out of turn on this stuff. Um, and, yeah, I don't really know if an answer to that. I think on one hand you know end of the day you have to learn how to do it properly and like we have to start acknowledging that we're not doing it right but talking about how we can do it better but also um yeah like who am i to say anything about this stuff so yeah i don't know that's kind of that's one thing that um yeah i think i've been reflecting on a lot like and maybe it's i don't want to say imposter syndrome because i think that kind of has the connotation of like oh but like you do know what you're doing you're just going to post it because like no i don't know what I'm, i honestly am such a novice in this space and um yeah i feel definitely um a bit self-conscious like even talking about this stuff but i think it's just good to open the conversation and like i invite anyone who's been doing this a lot longer than me to give me some advice or point me in the right direction of their podcast that i can listen to or like whatever it is you know um yeah that's really interesting i i empathize with that mm. um I empathize with that, especially in a teaching sphere, because we are 
expected to incorporate elements of Indigenous education and acknowledgement mm. in our lessons in a non-tokenistic way. Mm. Um, and that's really challenging when a lot of schools don't even have contact with their local elders. Mm. A lot of schools don't even know the, the peoples on whose land they are. And so I also have that feeling of, well, who am I to incorporate any of this into mm. my lessons? Like yeah. I don't have the wisdom or the knowledge here. But I also really agree with you when you say that it's, I think it's a really important conversation to have. And I think it's important for us who are non-Indigenous people to be aware of all of those issues and yeah. start acknowledging and paying respect where it's due, I yeah. guess. Totally. And I think for me, I've been involved in a few projects that are, you know, working, you know, really in this space, um, basically creating platforms for um, Indigenous Australians to stand up and share whatever they want to share, but, you know, to increase appreciation and knowledge and empowerment and all that amazingly beautiful things. And someone who is a, a real expert and leader in this field said to me, you know, like, people are scared of actually doing the work in this space, you know, and... I think it's easy to, you know, give a tokenistic acknowledgement at the beginning of a talk when you're explaining where the fire exits are and, you know, acknowledge blah, 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 whatever land we're on. But to actually sit down and say, what is meaningful engagement and reconciliation look like? Oh, my God. It is such a... And, like, you know, for me as someone working in this space, like, it's a minefield, you know? And, like, you... you like, we're, we're inherently racist. We're inherently Western coming into this space. And, like, you're unpacking all of this internalised racism that you have on top of you know balancing all the politics and like, like there's, there's everything and like you can't make everyone happy and then people get upset that you are engaging these people you, you know using a certain it's just like um you you really i think for someone like myself who's always been like try to please everyone like there's always old white men on the face being like what are you doing like why do you invite this person out why are you doing an indigenous astronomy night or whatever it is you know like and it's always something that is really hard to do well, you know? And I think we shouldn't shy away from hard work. We shouldn't shy away from this idea that, you know, we, we have to do the work. We are wrong. We're, we're wrong and we need to do the work to make it right. Um, but yeah, it's hard and I think we should acknowledge that. We shouldn't say it's just easy and, you know, you as soon as you want to do it, it's going to be great, you know? Like, yeah. That's so true. And it's complex too. Yeah, and I 100%. think that people shy away from complexity. Mm. And I think there's a lack of willingness or even knowledge as to how to engage in complexity and how to do complexity and how to hold that and to lead mm. into that. Mm. Um, I admire you for doing the work and leaning into all of the difficulty and grey area that surrounds that. How do you navigate that? Um, as a scientist? Yeah, as I, a I person. think as a person, as a scientist, honestly, um, with humility or striving for, I don't think I'm a humble person, but I think I really try and say, like, I don't know this, you know? And I think as a scientist, you you make assumptions, you know? You say, well, we don't know, but do our best. But it's like, like, it's like saying, like, I don't know, you know? I'm here to just watch and bear witness. Um, you know, like, and, like there's amazing, like, cultural awareness training programs that you can do. There's great resources. You can listen to our lives. I'll, I can give you some links that you can attach in the script. I don't know, whatever you can do. People can Google it as well. But um, there's amazing, like, your local land council will have a way of how to engage in these spaces, you know, um, that you can, you know, like, look up. You want to get an elder in your school, that kind of stuff. And it's this really hard thing where I always, you know, like, I guess probably, yeah, a question for you as a teacher, you know, like you're meant to be showing Indigenous perspectives on this stuff, but like you're non-Indigenous, where's your space to do that? Um, yeah, like it's really hard because like, you, yeah, how do you handle that space? Yeah, so the short answer is I don't personally teach any Indigenous students. Um, I try, I mean, I'm, and I do like a lot of individual tutoring work with EALD students. Mm. So um, I try to incorporate indigenous content and dream time stories into the text that I'm exposing them to. Mm. But again, like it's that issue of, I don't feel like I'm qualified as a white person with an Asian back, like I'm like mm. <laughs> Asian background. It, I feel like it's not my culture. Mm. So it's not my place to teach students about indigenous issues yeah. or matters. Like I, I feel 
hypocritical and wrong doing mm, that. Yeah. So I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. And again, I think sitting in that uncomfortable space, you know, and saying there is, you know, this feels wrong. Or I think it's the system that's created that, you know, like there's a, a system where, you know, there aren't enough, like, and this is from my perspective that the people who are Indigenous working in this space um, are underpaid overworked and there's so many other issues and systems keeping them down from sharing that knowledge or building up other people in the community to do that you know and I think that in a better world every school would have and they already have you know um, Aboriginal education officers and stuff but you know like that wouldn't just be a part-time role for someone that would be an amazing full-time role with all these resources and they can get in elders and knowledge holders every week to give amazing talks and like you know teaching language in school and there's all these incredible things they could do but it's it's funding and it's Um, systemic disadvantage that holds a lot of this stuff back Luke thank you so much for coming and sitting and chatting it's been really refreshing and I just also want to say thank you so much for your willingness to be uh, open and vulnerable and really honest that's so appreciated thank you so much and as I said before it's um, the safe space that you create in this amazing podcast that lets your guests be vulnerable and express themselves so thank you for having me thank you for creating it This episode was really beautiful to record. Luke not only brings enthusiasm, but also such a deep sense of humility and awareness. This conversation was candid, exploratory, and for us was deeply thought-provoking for a number of weeks after. Through the anecdotes Luke shares, we gain insight on setting healthy boundaries and expectations, how to understand and befriend the pain body, and developing a knowledge of how to grow through self-reflection. At Mere Utterance, we want to create a community of storytellers, and so we welcome you to visit our website, check out our blog, leave a comment, or send us a message. We would love to hear your thoughts on this conversation, and would love even more to hear some of your story. Thank you again for joining us, and remember, everyone has a story. You just need to ask the right questions.